One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is To Stop or Pop. That provided by Phil Allen on Twitter. Runner-up was Luke Whittaker with Fans for Hire. Yes, they did look a little bit extra-y, didn't they? This is our Qatar race review sponsored by Race Weekend magazine. Click the link in the show notes below to learn more. And I'll tell you a little bit more about this exciting project that my friend Magnus Greaves is has launched uh, later on in the middle of the show. I am your completely neutral host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? It's going fine. I'm actually glad you took this long to get to me because going by outside, I don't know if this is a thing there, but the cars here love to have exhausts that go bang. And I thought for a moment there was a Formula One car driving by losing its tire. Yeah, we, we are all basically in tyre shock PTSD zone here. But what did I say to you? Four cup finals for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Well, that's two of them. Two down, two to go. Yeah, well, we are we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. <laughs> It's been lovely to hear all your super duper opinions on our panel. And I know that Brad and Alex came in swinging after one of the reviews. And there's a few comments and people felt we were one side of the line or the other. And then next, I I gave you my nicest panel that we have available. Ellen and Catman. And at least half a dozen people messaged to complain about Catman. And four of them said we should never have him on again because of his ghastly hate. And that kind of made me feel better. If you can, if you can hate Catman, I, I don't, I don't think it's us. I, I think, I think we're okay. So this is a middle, a middling nice panel. The somewhat edgy Kyle Power joins us now. Hello, Kyle. Hey, Spanners, how's it going? Yeah, I, you're the only person who actually has any kind of previous knowledge of this track because you're into the older uh, magic bicycles. 
Yeah, been watching MotoGP at Qatar and the Los Angeles International Circuit since 2004, I believe. So it's quite a mainstay on that championship. So it was an absolute treat for uh, people like me to get to witness the mighty speed of F1 around that circuit. We're so used to watching mm. them wrestle the bikes and really, really struggle. And it looks sort of medium to low speed. And then you see an F1 car go through the same corners and it just looks like a completely different circuit. So that was fascinating to see. Yeah, and also you didn't have to have that horrifying thing on motorbikes where you go, oh no, he's about to fall over. And then and then he doesn't, just, he just keeps it and then goes back upright. <laughs> yeah, they do fall over quite a lot. But if your name is Mark Marquez, you can crash and still stay on at the same time, seemingly. It's crazy. Why would anyone do that? All the way from Denmark, we are joined by Christian Pedersen. Hello, sir. Good evening, Mr. Spenners. Ooh, a, a bit of a more of a relaxed afternoon. I was actually quietly hoping for no drama in this race just a nice kind of -of run-of-the-mill Grand Prix and I think we got it Uh, do you think we got that yeah well well well, I mean once the race started yeah I think there was a reason why we built these uh, long straights with uh, uh, a hairpin at the end that was because we were taught that that is the only way you can have overtaken in uh, Formula One racing but I think today we were taught that There was one medium corner. The rest was high speed, uh, more or less. And we saw a lot of overtaking. So it's the track was lovely, brilliant, gave us a good race. But we also have uh, cars that can actually fight in another spirit nowadays, I think. Yeah, so it was surprising to see them follow. From what we saw, you thought it was just going to be... Yes, it was hard to overtake. I think I only saw one overtake in that midsection. But they could at least follow. So they were in good shape for the, the main drag. Exactly. I love the race. Mm. And uh, Kyle, there was like there was decent racing. Yeah, surprisingly, I was well. You could maybe accuse me of being somewhat of a doom mongerer on on the twitters. I was talking. <laughs> I genuinely thought that we were going to have a slightly processional race, and it was going to come down purely to strategy. But um, and I did say in my tweets that I hope I eat my words, and I very much did. We got some fantastic action into turn one. Lots of um, round the outside overtakes, which was nice to see as well, considering all of the kerfuffles and talking off track. Yeah, and Matt, I could just, I could feel your your glee every time they went round turn one in particular, and you're like, oh, you look at the effects on those tyres. Yeah, well, the left front was always going to be suspect, but uh, the track itself, I think, was in many ways as big a player because it was just bashing the unbelievable life out of all of the cars and that may have played a part in the later tire problems yeah okay so what we normally do is uh sometimes we go through these things chronologically other times we go to a a big ticket item i i think i don't want to get bogged down early in the show by all the qualifying stuff and the penalty lights and all the stewarding decisions so we'll probably address that towards the back end of the show I, i think now i want to concentrate on how the race was won and lost I think that's all right, Matt, isn't it? If we start at the at the race, one lost can sometimes be a long section on this show. I think it's relatively simplistic today. And, and we've got lots of other uh, bit players, if you like, to talk about. Amazing to call Fernando Alonso a bit player. But wasn't it something like 100 races nearly between his podiums? So he has been. 
Yeah, but although you can't call him a bit player because he did finish on the podium, which exactly. makes him eligible. Exactly. For one and lost. So don't worry, uh, Fernando Alonso. Oh, yeah, oh, I see you're including him in one and lost. Oh, all I right then. Okay, but we're definitely don't worry going to cover the, uh, the 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 shining glorious second glorious moment of the season for Alpine. Uh, we're going to get into a, a battle of the number twos. We're definitely going to do some championship maths and talk about that Ferrari Mercedes battle as well. And then I think that's the time to circle around. To when is a yellow flag? Not a yellow flag, but Matt, uh, kick us off. Okay, well, I will start with the start, and we're just going to take it for granted Max Verstappen's penalty and having to start from the back. And the start is usually critical, but it was extra more critical this time. Uh, first of all, because Hamilton on the medium tires, being surrounded by soft tired people, managed to get a clean turn one and just drive away from everyone in a classic Mercedes move. But most importantly for Verstappen, he made up more than half of his penalty in the first two turns. Yeah. He gained, he was up to P4 by the time they were headed to the third turn, and that was crucial for his race. Yeah, and on the Verstappen move, it was actually a very well thought out and extremely clever move. I think he actually pulled the uh, driving standards double bluff onto everyone, thinking, knowing that everyone was going to go super deep into the edge of the track in turn one. And he just <laughs> kept it really conservative, really tight, didn't go in wide and just made up a load of positions. Once again, like Mexico, he, he bossed it. It was a brilliant move, I thought. Very yeah, clever. But what's going on with that launch, Matt? Did you see the overhead of that launch? He just went straight in between the two cars ahead of him. And it was, it was like he's on a different kind of start system. It was incredible. Well, uh, yeah, because he's got one of the two fastest cars by a whole lot on the grid. Probably they are very, very good at getting the tires much closer to optimum temperatures. And last, I mean, you know, they, they, have, they have worked very hard on their launches. And I think you've mostly seen it all, all season long. The Red Bull launches have almost always been first rate. Yeah, but it was it was it was almost cheat mode, wasn't it? Like how how are they doing it? Well, Perez is not doing it. He doesn't seem to have good launches, Kyle. Well, I think they worked on it pretty hard. Remember when they first went to Honda and they were having loads of problems off the line, particularly in wet races. They were they're really struggling with the drivability off the line. So I think they've worked an awful lot on that and they are reaping the rewards of it this system because it is very rare to see Verstappen get a bad start and you have to give some credit to him he's obviously got his procedures nailed you know um, Lewis Hamilton had a had a while where he was having rough starts and he changed he changed the technique he does to put his hand over the wheel to release the clutch Verstappen's obviously got a very robust technique that he uses and it just works every time with Honda so yeah if yeah. you see them anywhere near the back of a Mercedes on the grid you know they're going to be challenging them into the corner, into the first corner. Well, as a completely neutral host, I would just like to take this opportunity to congratulate Mr. Verstappen on, on such an awesome and excellent launch technique. No one else could, could possibly have done that. Christian, and then Matt. I was generally uh, really impressed by his start, but I want to say the decisive moment was backing off from Alonso. And that was very un-Max Verstappen-ish. Yeah. So I think actually uh, uh, give him a lot of credit for that start. There was not only uh, talent in overtaking, it was always also talent in knowing your space. Well, thank you for introducing the third player in our little drama because the start giveth, but the start also taketh away. He did back off from Alonso, but he did also go wide and that damaged the in plate on his front wing and may have oh. contributed to a certain amount 
his inability to keep up with Hamilton. I was going to say, so that was then, as early as that. And it, so it was nothing to do with, with Alonso contact or anything like that. It was more the evasive action, I guess, he had to take. The curbs. Yeah. I wondered how that was going to play out because I thought perhaps, I mean, Carl, you might have picked up on this in Hungary or somewhere. He was like, I'm going to help. I've got to help uh, Alonso. Uh, I've got to help Verstappen, basically. And so I, mm. I thought Alonso was going to be like on ghost racer mode. <laughs> and that he was just going <laughs> to let Verstappen through. But he yeah, was a real chop, wasn't it? You know, you give, you give Alonso a sniff of a podium and it's, it's all different. Oh, absolutely. And uh, in Alonso's defence, he can't see. He had no idea Verstappen was there. He had absolutely zero idea he, mm. he was there. And if you see it from Alonso's onboard, there was no hint that Verstappen was there. So Alonso was very feisty. And we've seen it countless times of him. You know, you give him an inch and he'll take a mile and he'll just grab that chance and take it. And he's still proving his worth. There is life in the old dog yet, as he's proven several times this year. Yeah. So this is, this is Verstappen in championship mode. And I think, Christian, what you're kind of alluding to is... He's, he's going to be smart about this and he's going to think about it. And I think we can fall into a trap of just thinking of him as Captain Ivan Drago. And, you know, he's just unfeeling and will go for everything. But, you know, that, that, that showed something. That couldn't have, I mean, if he had lost it on in turn one, turn two in this race, that would have been decisive. So, I mean, he's, he's a grown-up in his uh, way of racing. And today, as uh, Kyle and I talked of, uh, before we started record, uh, broadcasting here, uh, today we saw basically Formula One M and Formula One Pro. It was <laughs> two different leagues. And yeah. uh, what we are seeing from Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton these days is, in every sense, world-class, never seen before. Well, then how odd is it for the race to sort of settle down and it's Hamilton from Alonso to, to Gasly and then Verstappen. And you, you looked ahead then and you go, Matt, you think, right, at this point in the race, Verstappen's got like a clear path through to victory. And I, I don't know how everyone feels about this, but his radio comment was, I'm a bit stuck here, i.e. that Alpha Tower he needs to get out of the way. So I, I don't know, Matt, they, it's four against two. Yeah, it was it was, um, was uh, an inevitable pass because Gasly went off track through turn 16, which meant he sort of had to give Verstappen the place. How but convenient. You, you sort of wonder about the convenience of that. <laughs> yes, Kyle. He had also just been told, you can let him through. His engineer had actually already told him. I've just seen a stream video. He was told, um, Verstappen's got DRS, you can let him through. Then Gasly went wide. So uh, when I first saw it, it looked a little bit unusual. I was like, he's, he's done that mm. on purpose, so it doesn't look bad. But it actually would have been told. So I do think it was a genuine mistake. The, the radio message but he I, wouldn't have fought him anyway. Yeah, the radio message I heard was, he's not our battle or we're not fighting him, rather than um, you can let him through. I think that was yeah. the Alonso one. Like, oh. his, like, we're not racing him, it's not our race, and they sort of know it. But yeah, Gasly, there was something um, I saw posted on Reddit, which had the onboard of him and his team radio. Um so, yeah, I think it was a genuine mistake, but it was incredibly convenient. In this context, we also need to, uh, I think people should hear Gasly's radio after the race. And it's uh, like a two minute long radio chat about 
what is wrong with this car? I couldn't drive it. I was on the, at the maximum all the way through, and I couldn't set any left signs, yada, yada, yada. He didn't have a good car, Gasly, so it would happen. Um, okay, eventually. so what you're doing is you're poo-pooing any suggestion of I, a collusion I, I, or a conspiracy. I, no, no I, I think collusion is there because it should be there, and that is how the partnership works, and that is how it works in, in politics as well. Uh, but I think they're making it a bit too obvious with the way Helmut Marko enters the pit, uh, the, the, the paddock and stuff like that, talks with the guys. And it's, yeah. I'm not sure uh, Mercedes would run the same tactics, the same visual tactics uh, with Williams, Ooh, for instance. I, but I, that's I, just a I, team perspective. No, I have to counter that. They, Mercedes have absolutely done that when... They have, they have. When but Ocon, they are doing so obvious. No, when, it was obvious. Ocon was basically going to be blocking Hamilton after a, a pit exit at Monaco. And you saw Toto Wolff wandering over to the Force India thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was Ocon in the Force India, wasn't it, Matt? <laughs> Suddenly just moves out the way. You're asking the oldest person on the panel <laughs> to remember something that long ago? Oh, yeah. Okay. You've slept since then, haven't you? I guess. Yes. Uh, Kyle. Yeah, we used to see this before. It used to be customary back in like the late 90s with um, and, and the 2000s with Sean Todd coming off the Ferrari pit wall to walk down to the Sauber pit wall when Schumacher was coming up to lap one of the Saubers. Yeah. And we used to see them give. So this is nothing new of like B-teams or, or customer teams doing a favor for the works team. It's good for them. They're up on their budget and the works team might say, look, if you're kind to us during the race, we might knock a zero off your engine bill for the year. See, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I mind it now because even as a completely neutral host, I, I, I there's a mismatch because Mercedes don't have that available this season. But I have always generally been a fan of that. I would like three car teams. I would like proper full on customer teams that are affiliated Me with too. that team, and 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 then, but then have like a thirty car grid as well. We'd have to not go to Monaco, but oh well, never mind. Uh, Matt, let's uh, let's continue with uh, one and last. Okay, so uh, we could briefly mention the fact that our two other players who are normally part of it, before we move on to the second critical point, yeah. Botas went dead backwards because he didn't have his revs in the correct place when he started. They were too low. And Perez actually made some forward momentum, and this caused some problems later on uh, for Lewis. But really, I'd say the next critical juncture has to be the puncture that Botas picked up with Mercedes trying to run him long for a one-stop because he was hanging about in Verstappen's pit window. He was yeah. only 12 seconds back of him. Was and it? And according to the strategy, had he held on for another couple of laps, they felt like he was a lock for third place in the race. Oh, okay. I didn't quite realize that Bottas was in Verstappen's pit window by that point. I yes, didn't realize it had got that close. The start of his race was so wretchedly awful and terrible. Everyone just went... Oh, Botas, and stopped paying attention. But the yeah. fact of the matter is, once he got the tires operating, which I think took him about every time he, it took him about three laps or so to get them there. But once they started operating, and once the Stroll Tsunoda situation resolved itself, he began making very regular progress and was essentially always one car behind Perez, all the way up until Red Bull had their first pit stops. Mm. I'm fairly sure it was the total radio call who that did that. Oh, okay. Look, we're gonna we're gonna pick on Bottas in a separate section. I, I want to just get through the the battle of these these top Sorry. guys because we've got ourselves in a situation where Hamilton's pulling away and and making a, a gap. And I think before the first stop, I think the gap had gone to like nine seconds. And I I know they won easily, and this is going to sound weird, 
but I'm, I'm concerned with the approach that Mercedes took. And there was a radio call at some point, which was, don't worry, we've got, we've got pace in hand. But I mean, Carl, I've spoken to you, to you about this like extensively. The tactic when you've got the pace, you know, the the Vettel twenty second gap kind of thing, like disappear. Mercedes, they don't. Sometimes I just wish that they would just disappear. Like, just look, take your power and just go and build a thirty second lap. Don't worry. It's not twenty fifteen anymore. You don't have to be embarrassed about how dominant you are. <laughs> uh- yeah, I actually think in Lewis's mind, there was a bit of that going on when he was pulling out. Usually we'd see him manage the gap, leave it at four or five seconds and just sit there and manage it. But he was stretching it. And as we saw later in the race, and as I think is going to be pivotal in this championship, I think fastest lap could end up, the fastest lap point could end up deciding this championship. I think Lewis is very aware of that. So in the first stint, I actually thought they were purposely trying to pull out as long as they can and that's why lewis wanted to stay out longer so we would have a pit stop gap yeah. over verstappen so he could do fastest lap right at the end but I, they denied him i meant to ask this to you matt really at that critical point where lewis was saying don't bring me in too early don't bring me in too early how mercedes just wanted to respond and just if we do what red bull are doing everything will be fine did did hamilton have a point because the only thing i noticed about the tires was that the new hards weren't an awful lot quicker than the the old mediums that were running around? Well, if we look, Hamilton came in lap 18. I think in an ideal world, Mercedes would have run him to lap 23 and done a single stop, or 25 maybe, twenty whatever they calculated, and tried to do a one-stop, which is what the plan for Botas was. But in reality, he was coming up to a long string of traffic, and Verstappen on the hard tires had just set a purple middle sector. And because they did a wing adjustment on Verstappen's car when it came in, instead of using, losing your normal three-ish seconds on the undercut, which is effectively what it was, even though he was 10 seconds back, he little, he'd only lost 1.2 seconds. Mercedes knew their car was faster, but they also knew that Lewis in traffic, even on good tires, would be losing time every lap to Verstappen. And their job at that point is to minimize that loss because on the same tires, they're going to win the race. And yeah, fast lap matters, but winning the race matters a lot more than fast lap here. Oh, yeah. But it's just, yeah. Again, though, Carl, you're making the point about the fast lap here and Brazil, even though it looks like you think, oh, you w- they won seven points. No, they, they, they haven't pulled seven points. It's six points and it was only like four points in the last race. So Red Bull, once mm. again, have kind of, they've, they've almost... They've pulled a a minor defeat instead of a a proper one. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and it's interesting to see how the yeah the sort of the politics and the polemics of the uh, fastest lap point play out at the end. It gives a fascinating dimension to it, whether you like it or not. It gives a fascinating di- dimension to the race, but. Also, Mercedes, with that, are also trying to cover off the failures. Christian Horner made a comment after the race saying we could see the tyre wear was really, really high. Mercedes must have been aware of that as well. So so they, Lewis is probably thinking, this feels fantastic, keep me out. But Mercedes are probably looking at the data and, well, and in hindsight, was probably the, a brilliant move to pit him early because we saw the later tyre problems. Yeah, and essentially by Verstappen pitting that early, Red Bull was committing to an aggressive two-stop strategy. Mercedes' options were to run a different strategy and hope it works, or to cover Red Bull. If you cover Red Bull, nothing, you know, I can't, I won't say nothing can go wrong, but in terms of the car performance, you're going to be on the same tires and you have a 10-second advantage. It, it, it's, it's pretty much one and done there, but getting to fast lap, 
the point I wanted to make real quick. That's why the belt S puncture also mattered because they had no tool left on the board to compete with Verstappen for fast lap because he was out of the race. He was retired and wasn't available running in the top 10 to come in and take that point away. So that's why I did pick it as a critical point in the race. Yeah. And I, I'm really surprised. And this is why I'm thinking it must have been a genuine technical fault for Mercedes to retire the car because they took away their chance to steal that fastest lap point. So I think they must have had a genuine problem to take that opportunity away from them. Well, remember how fast he ran that car back around to the pits with uh, with a tire down? That That's just, that's like a chainsaw on your floor and body work. <laughs> and I suspect they took a look at it in the pits and knew that he wouldn't be able to get fast lap with it. Yeah. So now he gets a new gearbox instead. Yeah, but sparks are pretty. Oh. How pretty were the sparks? Although I definitely felt that they were going to time travel at some point. I, I think it was Alonso was behind him. I thought, oh, Alonso is going to go, he's going to go back to meet his mum. And on that, I'm surprised Alonso. If I was Alonso, I would have been having a bit of a whinge on the radio because Bottas didn't need to be on the track in the penultimate corner. Uh, Alonso lost a load of time because he was covered in sparks, had to really back off and then otherwise a corner where you have to just lift. Alonso, I think, had to get on the brakes because Bottas was lingering, not even completely on the outside of the track. He was sort of flailing around in the middle, showering sparks everywhere. I'm really surprised that he hasn't got a reprimand for that. He looked like he was defending. Well, to to slightly defend him there, I mean, he was only driving with three wheels on the car. And, you know, I I still feel like that was a reasonable effort to get round to the pits that quickly. Yeah, but Christian, when Hamilton had those same three wheels, he won. So he should have just done that. (laughs) We saw a similar thing with Schumacher later in the the race where he entered the the racetrack as well in in a not-so-fine fashion. I think it has to do with the nature of the track, what you can see, actually. Mm. Yeah. So, look... When it comes to one and lost, on the surface of it, it was fairly straightforward. Uh, Hamilton had the pace. I I wonder how much of that pace was flattered by the front wing damage. I do wonder how cautious he then had to be in turn one, Max Verstappen. Could he have fought? Could he have done more? And I, I came away from this race with the overwhelming feeling that Verstappen and Red Bull were still the most dangerous package and and, and did... Not, not obviously not in terms of pace and winning the race. I know they didn't win, but it felt like they had their claws out. It felt like they were trying everything. They were just anything to make to change it up. So, oh, we're on, we're on uh, mediums. Let's change to hard. So let's let, let make Mercedes stop. Who knows? Let's roll the dice. That's a, a pit stop that could go wrong. And, and I don't know, Carl. I was just I was impressed that even though there was that deficit, they were just they were just pushing. They were just they were harassing is what they were doing. Yeah. And to be honest, I think Red Bull were quite sort of nailed on for second and we're going to play it fairly conservatively. And I actually think it was Verstappen calling from the cockpit saying, hey, we're going to be second anyway. Let's try and push and do something anyway. Let's just have some fun and go for it, which is really good to hear. But yeah, um, it's the never give up attitude, isn't it? It's the, it's the never say die, just absolutely go for it. And they were looking at a mountain to climb. Yeah, they knew they yeah. were completely outdone on pace, but they didn't give up. They still tried the early aggressive strategy and were still trying to put the pressure on because you never know what's going to happen. So hats off mm. for that. Never give up. But if if you were a Hamilton fan, if you were a Hamilton fan, you'd be looking at that Red Bull performance and you'd be going, ah, th- this is a good outfit. These guys are dangerous, Christian. If you were a Hamilton fan, you yeah. would be going, where's Bottas? <laughs> Okay, I mean, and that get... is the difference between those two teams now. Big, uh, it's Paris and and Verstappen up front, and Hamilton, 
uh, and it's a shame because Bottas really ha- he's an excellent racing driver, but just those small things. The way, for instance, Ocon uh, defended against um, uh, Paris at the end of the race. That is how you defend when you have uh, when you have a very fast car approaching. You keep on going, and you don't see that from Bottas. You don't see that fighting spirit, and I think it's, it's a uh, bit of a shame. Okay, okay so. We're going to take a slight diversion down Bottas land because I've, we can't hold it off anymore. We do get people. There are, he's a popular guy. So we come under fire if we criticize Bottas. And I always think when he has a performance like this, I always think, how are we going to talk about him and not seem overly critical? And I, I know Kyle has some defenses for him, but I'll, I'll, I'll start in that I, I, I get some agreement with, with Christian, but also why should he, why should he have that right now? You know, he's, being booted out the door and handed an Alfa Alfa Romeo contract, he's he's looking ahead. He's he's already going to switch teams for the preseason tests, but that's the, the performances haven't been there. And whenever it's been a chance to be wheel to wheel, he just hasn't done anything. Can you imagine any other driver on the grid not pushing Verstappen wide at Mexico, for example? And it's just it's it's hard to defend him, and people are going to get upset. But well, I mean, where does that defense come from? He's at the end of his contract, Carl. He is phoning it in and if he wasn't attacking before and wasn't defending before he's certainly not doing it now well he's never been one of these super aggressive punchy drivers and give him his due his pace has been on point his pace has actually been there one he just pace. really struggles he really struggles when he gets a bad start if he gets out ahead we've seen on several occasions that he has the pace and can go out he just really struggles in dirty air but i think he gets too much of a hard rap you know at mexico into turn one it's not his duty it's his duty to try and make it difficult for them but it's not 100 percent on him to prevent verstappen getting past you know i think too much is being put on his shoulders he's doing all he can and in this race we were denied the chance to see him battle for third and with his one-stop strategy i think he would have been right in there i think he would have made a good recovery we just didn't really get a chance to see it so i don't think he was too abysmal in this race and also unlucky with the grid penalty he was on the dirty side got the penalty i mean he was on the clean side got the penalty ended up yeah. on the dirty side and vice versa for for Stappen. he only got three places but he really suffered after that start yeah i would just like to add to that um i suspect that the difference you were seeing this year between botas and hamilton particularly in the race and particularly in dirty air is a testament to how much harder this mercedes has been for the both of them to drive Mm, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I'm saying Botas is a really, really, really good driver. He's in the, he's up there in the top rank of drivers. Okay. Well, okay. Well, John, I'm going to disagree. I don't mm. think he is up there on the top rank of drivers. Clearly, he's his one lap pace gets a lot made of it because it, it, he seems very impressive in qualifying. But I think as modern F1 fans with modern coverage. I think we really have made too much of qualifying, especially since since around 2014. Qualifying has been much less important than it used to be. So he's really, really good at, at something that just doesn't matter as much as it used to in the 90s. And I think a lot of us old sweats are still stuck there going, oh, qualifying's everything. The, the Murray Walker quote, catching is one thing, passing is quite another. But Lewis Hamilton since 2014, he hasn't been obsessed with qualifying. He was happy to let Rosberg beat him in the qualifying trophy in 2015 and and now i think setting up for the race is the smart play so i don't know having a driver who can only do qualifying well and then disappears in the race 
and then going, oh, yeah, but what about the Saturday bit that doesn't matter? I think it's a bit futile. So I, I Christian, I don't know if I'm being harsh here, but I'm not putting Bottas in, a, in the top levels of the current grid, not, not, by, not by some way. If I had an LMP1 team, I would want someone like Valtteri Bottas to drive for me. I think he he takes all the boxes as a racing driver. He fits perfectly into the racing seed, racing world, uh, and he's a team player. Uh, but if you want to win Formula One, you need someone who's uh, thinking about themselves only, uh, aggressive. Oh, hello to our live chat in the Slack. Maria says, says the Perez fan. Perez is the opposite way round. <laughs> you can't do Saturdays. But look, next next year, next year, Perez, curse you, Maria. Uh, Kyle. Yeah, and another thing further to my, um, as it's been put in the chat, um, noble but futile Bottas defence. Um, yeah, he knew from the outset that he was going to try a one-stop strategy. So maybe why he wasn't so effective in those earlier laps, I saw one of his onboards when he was fighting in the dirty air, or he, or he was just passing people, he was not going full wang. He was clearly driving well within his limits and not scrubbing the front tyres. And I think, especially in the dirty air, he was take, taking it very, very cautiously. So I think he was playing long game, and so that's why we didn't see immediate action out of him. I just want to come back to that and say, when I say top rank, I'm talking like Ricardo-level drivers. I'm not talking Verstappen or Hamilton-level oh, drivers. There's the Australian. misunderstood what I was mostly through saying. But Hang on, I, just, right. I can hear the clack of emails across the world now. Matt <laughs> at mistapex.net, Australians, message him. He said, I've been defending him. I got yelled at you know, by, by Jolian Palmer for defending him, so I'm on your I- side. I'm not saying Ricardo is bad. I'm saying Botas is better than people are giving him credit for, especially because this season hasn't been the best. But Kyle is right. The battle between Stroll and Tsunoda presented him with unique issues because no matter where he went on the start-finish straight, he was stuck in someone's dirty mm. air. Yeah. Uh, so, and so, it, it yeah. complicated his turn one entry. Oh, okay. Well, we'll move away from, from Botas. Um, do, do, do email us uh, feedback at mistapex.net. Do, do feel free to tell me if I'm being too harsh on a driver or, or, or not praising them enough. It's absolutely fine. Uh, Tobias in our chat is suggesting there might be an engine issue. So look out for more news on that if Bottas was nursing an en- engine issue, in which case I take it all back and he's absolutely marvellous. So uh, I think we really would come down to the end of, of one and last. I just asked them in the, in the chat there who won, who has won the most fastest laps and Verstappen and Hamilton have five each at the moment so fairly neutral i guess overall it's not it's not made a a huge difference well uh, uh, did you say five win no the f- they, they, they've got the five fastest laps each oh okay sorry yeah yeah Kyle? So- yeah and for these new points that we're getting the new fastest lap points um it's the sprint races points to where Verstappen has done the damage on these yeah. new additional ways of scoring over over Hamilton. Yeah, and he's been much better at the following the safety car around in the wet races as well. He's absolutely And Red Bull's there. fastest laps has been uh, pretty good as well, or they have taken them away from Hamilton. That's a good point too. Well, Matt, I think that as that sort of concludes the, the one and lost section, doesn't it? Almost. I do want to briefly mention the virtual safety car. And for two reasons. One, I think it was a a 50-50 proposition for Alonso to get to the end without blowing up a tire because he actually went 34 laps on those tires and everyone else who blew up a tire blew it up around lap 31. 
And that's right when the virtual safety car came in. Both he and Ocon, Ocon was on 33 laps, Stroll was on 33 laps. All of those drivers kind of had their bacon saved a little bit by that virtual safety car. And that matters because Alonso is our podium finisher, our third podium finisher. But it also matters a lot because the virtual safety car didn't come off until Hamilton was on the start finish straight, meaning he never had a chance to even try and take fast lap away from Verstappen. And so that also, because Verstappen got the point, I feel is kind of critical. That's true, but maybe he would have got the would have got it anyway. But like you said, he, he lost out on the chance. But also on that, Kyle, that again, tactically, Mercedes, they took that risk by saying fastest lap at the end, don't go for it now. They took the risk of something like that happening. Red Bull went and were proactive and did mm-hmm. it. And that's, that's been the trend between these two teams, between proactive and, and reactive. Yeah, but in Mercedes' defence, they couldn't really do anything else. They knew Verstappen behind had the luxury of being able to pit and slap yeah. on a set of soft tyres. So they knew it was kind of, he was going to do that. They kind of knew it was half futile and they wouldn't really be able to have a go. But still, it's frustrating not to be able to have a go. But Verstappen on a fresh set of soft tyres... You're not beating that. All right. We, we've got to talk about Fernando Alonso. But first, a, a word from our sponsor. So I say sponsor. It's not. It is. I'm going to read it like it's a sponsor. But this is a, a friend of Miss Apex, Magnus Greaves, who uh, I want to encourage you to go and check out his FIA accredited F1 magazine. Magazine doesn't do this justice. What I'm about to talk to you about is something that is going to solve a Christmas present problem for you. This is going to make a great Christmas present for an F1 fan that you know. I'm just going to read, I'll read Magnus's blurb, which is that Race Weekend is a, a new magazine for Formula One that celebrates the circuits, cities and culture of a race weekend uh, with award-winning photography, cutting-edge design and world-class storytelling, all packed into an oversized format that immerses the reader into the action. And that's not an exaggeration, it's like an A3 magazine they've got access to an absolutely vast array of historical photographs from top photographers in formula one and it is like a decoration in your house it is that ultimate coffee table magazine and uh, you won't regret putting these magazines in your home they're absolutely gorgeous of course uh, i get the perk of magnus sending them to to me for free when they arrive my son recognizes the size of the package grabs that and claims it for himself and he's the first one uh, to go and claim it so the subscription model with them is uh, it's a hundred dollars for four issues at the moment so there's two that are released and then you'll get two more uh, i think in december and then uh, early next year and uh, so they're sold in bundles and if you are in canada and the uk that is free shipping and twenty dollars for all other countries the, the links to the show notes are in the show notes i i urge you to go and check it out I absolutely love having this in my living room. It makes me feel like posh people. Oh, yes, idly thumb through my gourmet banquet of F1 photography. That's just the kind of person I am. So if you want to look like a a high-class F1 fan, go and check out that link. I rejected Magnus's ad money. He tried to pay me ad money uh, to to plug this, but I promise that I I genuinely am endorsing this product. So I said, no, uh, I believe in... Uh, the product i believe in magnus as a person and i wanted to offer mr apex as a as a platform for him to reach out to you guys but he did bully me into taking a cut so if you click the link below and you uh, you end up purchasing purchasing a subscription he is giving me a a too generous cut of 
of your purchase, which means that you'll get that beautiful magazine and you will be also significantly contributing to Missed Apex podcast as well. So go and check out the link in the show notes, uh, Race Weekend magazine. It's worth a look, I promise you. You you were struggling for a Christmas present for people, weren't you? This may well solve it. Fernando Alonso, is this a popular podium? Let's have a show of hands on the panel. Hands up if you are uh, someone who likes Fernando Alonso. Are you a Fernando Alonso fan? Oh, oh okay, okay. So me and Christian, hands straight up, and then some non-committal from Kyle and, uh, and Matt. Christian. I actually didn't like him at first. Uh, I loved him when he challenged uh, Michael Schumacher uh, and did with the in the old Renault days. He was the underdog, so like the Hakkinen thing, Juan Pablo Montoya against Schumacher kind of thing. Uh, but how he behaved during McLaren really made me despise him, actually. I think he was a really horrible human being. But he has, if someone has turned around and sort of like admitted to his former self and reinvented his uh, racing career it's uh, Fernando Alonso and uh, I think he's kept most of what really worked back in the days and sort of like discarded the the bad stuff so apparently he is to be trusted nowadays (laughs) and stuff like that but his race craft is just it's still the same and it's uh, I love watching him him race Uh, the way he 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 overtook Gasly in in turn two in, in in lab one was just magnificent so let's just do a quote here from Nate Saunders, who's uh, with ESPN. And he tweeted, he tweeted this at Nate Saunders F1. Definitely an account you should uh, go and check out. Works a lot with uh, Chris Medland. Since Hamilton and Alonso were last on the podium together, which was Hungary 2014, Hamilton has since then won six titles. Alonso's driven for three different F1 teams, taken a sabbatical and come back, won Le Mans, raced one IndyCar, uh, 500 and failed to qualify for another and then raced at the the Dakar rally so it's it's certainly been a colorful career desperately un, unlucky I think with the McLaren move but I think Kyle what people think when they think about where his career, career didn't spark is kind of people go well it's, it's kind of your fault it's like he lost it in the he lost it in the paddock not on the racetrack um yeah it's like he lost it lost it in the politics chamber I think um, quite a few times. Yes, uh, I started off, I was always a Schumacher fan, but I was appreciated Alonso's talents and back in, um, you know, he had some brilliant results and then he, he won Hungary in, 20, in 2003. I remember that and came out of nowhere. Just amazing. 2004 is amazing. And obviously five and six, he won it. But then the McLaren move in 2007, didn't like his tactics. I actually, I thought he redeemed himself in 2012 with that horrible Ferrari and dragging it all the way to the last race. I was cheering him on. Mm-hmm. And then he went back to the McLaren and then the disrespect to the Honda and the poison started again. And it's like, oh dear. But this there year, he when is. he come back, the first half of the season, I was like, oh. And as Christian said, his he was recognizing his former self and he maybe made some mistakes and not been very nice. And it was all la-di-da and lovely. And now the last few races, it slipped again. And he's gone back talking a lot in the press, doing a bit <laughs> of trash talk. And again, it's the... Um, I don't know. It's this constant, the world's against me, chip on shoulder thing that is he's fighting. He, he accused the FIA of racism, essentially saying it depends what nationality you are and started to make these very controversial comments again. So he's slipped back to his former self. The only thing I'm really, really upset about this year is Cyril Abitable not being there. 
Because I think if he was there in Alpine as well, we would have had some fireworks. Oh, it's, it, there's an age thing, Matt. You know, as much as we, we curse pointlessly young people, oh, curse you young people. Alonso's 40. He's like a middle-aged man on the grid. So when you say like, oh, he's opinionated and grumpy. Yeah, because he's 40 and like it physically hurts being this age. Yeah. And so <laughs> as an officially certified old guy, it's delightful to see him on the podium. And I will say that the thing that bothered me most, as Kyle pointed out, was that at McLaren, it was his attitude towards Honda. And if you go back further, oftentimes it was his attitude towards the team or the teammate. And what's different about him so far for me is that I don't get that. He seems to have a real respect and ability to work with not only the team, but also with his teammate. And, and that does seem to be a bit of a new leaf, if you know what I'm saying. He used to uh, come across as bigger than the team, and now he's part of the team, sort of. And I think that's a, a very big difference. Uh, I also want to add that um, uh, what he did in Russia, how he challenged uh, 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 race control by going off on lap one. I'm not sure I'm, I'm condoling it, but I just like that he uses his brain to challenge these, these things instead of like being 21 and just saying, well, I'm just going to do what the race control tells me. Someone's actually opposing and I, I can stand by that because you're also a grumpy. Need some opposing right now. Because you're Sorry. also a grumpy 40 year old man. That's why you can I'm stand by that. I'm a 50 grumpy old man. <gasps> Christian, we would never have guessed. Uh, look at that. Kyle, uh, you look. Uh, sorry, Kyle, you had your birthday last week and I accidentally told everyone you were 52 and I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to tell everyone I was joking, but happy 35th birthday? Sixth, I believe. Birthday. Thank you. Okay. okay. <laughs> yep, I've been told I don't look a day younger than well a day older than 40 which is always nice yeah so i'm taking that as a win you had an uphill paper <laughs> round for sure and look, 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 <laughs> let's focus in on, on on what alonso actually did this race after kyle makes this very interesting point well i was going to say um, backing up what christian was saying um yeah this year he does seem to be a lot more teamy and what was really cool to see about alonso was when ocon won in hungary and he was so happy and going celebrating it in the paddock and that was brilliant to see and he played such a vital role in that race so it was great to see him come on the radio like tell Esteban to defend like a lion you know <laughs> repay the favor so I very much agree with that Alonso despite the, the comments coming out recently does seem to be much more of the teamy sort of player now and it was so good to see that in Hungary so that's a massive win for him and we know when he's on track for this race you know he's going to do something special he is a special driver is amazing so you always know he's going to try something he's one of these special elites so i put him up there in a the category with verstappen and, ha and, and hamilton he's one of these drivers that you know something will happen oh yeah i mean a bit disappointing in the end matt isn't it we had all this the fireworks between ocon and alonso ocon won't be able to stand the pressure and instead they're like mates that work together as a team rubbish yeah, you know the drive to survive people are somewhat unhappy about this kind of events. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, in, in this race, you could see how aware he was. I think one of the key moves he actually, the, the, the team and him made, they they had the ultimate strategy on the early mediums. Was he on mediums to start with? Uh, softs. They was he on were. the softs? Okay. Yes, the so, softs were actually the magic tire yeah. at the beginning of the race. And he went a little bit longer than the, the early medium guys. Then the, the yeah, two stop a lot longer. Yeah, so but not so long that they exploded. So he might have just the, the team and him came up with the the perfect strategy. I wonder how much of that was you know luck or, and how much of that was they'd worked it out. 
Um, I think that was their preferred strategy. Once they saw that the softs were going to last and they were still getting good pace out of them as the as as we saw Verstappen and and the top teams come in for their two stop, he was still improving his lap times, as was Ocon. And so I think the idea that they could make the one stop work was probably born there. And then they they really did. They came in about the perfect, maybe they might have been better, like about two more laps, three more laps, but they came in at lap 23. But none of this would have happened if he hadn't made that amazing defense of Verstappen at the start. And equally, if his teammate hadn't literally looked like a carbon copy of what Alonso did just a few places back, because he was, I think he went from ninth to sixth. And that absolutely put him in position to be a strategic player at the end of the race. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are we on Ocon here? We're still talking about Alonso. Yeah. You know, I thought we were talking about Alonso. I stopped paying attention for a second and Max made it all about Ocon, hasn't he? Well, (laughs) I was just about to say, um, it's, it's props to, um, to, uh, Alpine because they had, they had genuinely good pace this weekend and they don't know why it's a bit McLaren 2012. They don't necessarily know why, but, um, but they had really good pace and they took advantage of it and they put a huge dent into Alpha Tauri this this race with which is who they're battling with. So Ocon did say at the end of the race he was not sorry, but he couldn't quite defend as much as Alonso did in Hungary because the straight's a bit longer, but he still wanted to do that bit in the team. And in Ted's notebook, it was great to see him. They asked, Are you are you happy? He was like, Yeah, Alonso celebrated my win with me, so this is our our podium. So it's really nice to see the team harmony. I think there's, uh, there's uh, I think it's around 150 kilometers that your downforce kicks in on a Formula One car. So whenever you go below 130, 40, 50 kilometers an hour, you're, it's about the mechanical grip. Oh, okay. And on this track, it was only turn six where you used your mechanical grip. The rest was oh. pure aero. So that says a lot about the Alpine car. Maybe they have a mechanical uh, grip car that is not really set up, but on the aero side, it's working perfectly, probably. Well, the interesting thing to me post-race was that it was attributed that um, Ocon's defense, short as it was, cost Perez two and a half to three seconds. He finished 2.8 seconds behind (laughs) Alonso. So it might not have been as lengthy as Alonso's defense, but it may well have been pivotal overall and in, in helping keep uh, Fernando ahead for that last podium spot. So, certainly in that situation, if there was no other factor, Ocon would have just waved Perez through. And it's the fact that like, there, was no, there was definitely nothing to gain. He, there was no chance he was actually going to hold that corner, but he's like, I'm, I'm going to be a pain in the buttocks. And then, and then he, he went and did that car. Yeah, because also he had a very quick and a, having a brilliant weekend Lance Stroll behind him, and it was only about a second and a half off. So, Alcon, Alpine came over and just basically Alcon. told <laughs> Alpine came over and basically told him to defend at all costs. Basically, they didn't quite say it that way, but it's just like you must keep him behind. And it was actually going to a detriment to his own race. It was actually going to affect him. And I definitely didn't have a bet on him to finish in the top six. I definitely wasn't paying close attention to that. Oh, uh, Kyle, did you make that bet? I tried to put you off it. You were talking about a cheeky bet on Alonso to win. I did make it, but it was only a pound, so it's okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> you needed real high attrition, but I guess had the front two taken each other out, which doesn't, it's not an impossibility this season, is it? Alonso would have gone and collected. So what was the odds? Uh, uh, 33 to 1. No, that's okay. not enough. Max Verstappen's number? 
Ben Hager. But you were <laughs> you were right in being confident in their performance. So yeah, well done, well done. It's good to see a, uh, another team on the the podium at this stage of the, the season as well. Uh, but next, I think we we do need to talk about Perez's race stuffed quali. Obviously, sigh. Do make it hard to be a Perez fan. And uh, the cruel Slack group. Boo. Thank you very much for your support because that's our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And then uh, certain tiers, you know, you can get extra content and come and join us in our patron Slack group, which is a lot of fun. But they're mean sometimes. And I said I was looking for a new midfield driver to support because Perez was now regularly up in the the top four. He's in the, the second or first best team and i kind of miss having a proper f1 midfielder to root for so they were all making lots of suggestions haven't settled on anyone just yet for next season maybe yuki i'm not sure i'm not sure might be yuki uh, but as soon as he stuffed qualifying about eight thousand of them went oh look there's perez being your midfield driver to support again gits absolute gits obviously that didn't go well but a great start but I think Red Bull, as much as I've praised them for their strategy, they've thrown away a podium here. I think that there's there's no there's no version of this race where Perez wasn't able, where it wasn't possible for him to get a podium. And I think the key, Matt, is probably that first pit stop. Just pitting it. He, he, he'd spent all that time pulling off all those overtakes, cut through the field. Well done, fella. Here's your reward. We're going to put you behind all the cars you've just overtaken on tyres that take a long time to warm up that actually aren't that much faster than the used tyres of the guys that you've just overtaken. And it was just, ah, uh, he must have lost like 10, 15 seconds trying to just get through that field again. Yeah. To my memory, he came out behind somebody and and was stuck for a couple of laps. And, and that really did cost him. And And it is a bit of surprise that they didn't think to run him longer as Mercedes was yeah. with Bottas. And and see if they could put him on an alternate strategy. But I think they possibly felt like the two-stop was a safer strategy from a tire point of view. After all, they've not been without their tire failures. No, but, but they could have outlasted the guys that they ended up going behind. Like, tell me that Perez could not have gone another five laps. Yeah, he, I, think, I think five laps would have worked. But I, I also think that they wanted him closer to Verstappen's strategy. So in that sense, he was always going to be backing up Max. Yeah, it it did look like an uncharacteristic ball drop from Good. Red Bull strategy side initially. But I think that was their plan from the outset. From what Perez said after the race, he was like, we had already committed to a two-stop. And didn't he make a comment during the race saying, like, questioning the strategy, saying, what's what's this strategy, guys, or something? Because he didn't like it when he come out behind the other cars. But as Mercedes had told Lewis, it's looking easier to overtake than we first thought. So mm. I think Red Bull played to that. And ultimately, they have the data. So it, mu- it must have been right. But yeah, it did look very unusual. Christian. Now, imagine you're, you're Red Bull and you, you want to win the uh, Constructors' Championship. And you see Bottas is out. What would you do? Would you uh, take take the bet that the the tires would hold, or would you make sure at least mm. to get some points? I, I, I'm not saying that is a very red bullish uh, kind of way of thinking, but I would do as they did today, definitely. Yeah, of course, uh, Matt. At the first pit stop, Bottas was was not out, and I think then he he didn't he he pitted before Bottas. Yes, he did definitely. Oh, yeah, well before. Yeah, uh, uh, Bottas didn't pit. He blew up his original set of tires on lap 33, as I recall. Or somewhere thereabouts. What's the problem for Red Bull was 
The problem for Red Bull was simply that the two-stop strategy was fastest, except for the reportedly impossible one-stop strategy that Alpine and several other teams employed. Mm. Now, some teams, it was impossible. We could talk about Williams. We could talk about McLaren. Because Norris, uh, Russell, and Latifi all blew up tires, along with Botas, trying to go one-stop. So it was a real, real gamble. But unfortunately for Red Bull, and especially for Paris, between the safety car and just apparently how kind Alpine are to their tires, and who knows, maybe it's just the camber they set it or the amount of toe that's in that tire, whatever it is, they didn't get the same kind of destruction during the same amount of laps, and they wound up getting a slight advantage from running the one-stop. Mm, all right. Well, there we go. I think the third place there, that podium, it was theirs for the taking, and that, that kind of has connotations for the championship battle, the championship fight. I'm going to caveat this slightly by, by saying this is the forgotten baby brother of the titles. Now, I don't think at this point in the championship they will do... Everything they can, if it's there, they're not going to tell one of their cars to retire and not get points for the constructors' standings. But I think today, had Hamilton got the the fastest lap, for example, and Verstappen couldn't get it, I think they would happily have sent Perez back down the order for less points to go and get the fastest lap and take it away from Lewis Hamilton. So we can look at the constructors' championship, but I, I don't think that's the, the biggest genuine battle map. I think that that will get thrown under the bus very, very quickly. It will, and yet it's interesting to me. Red Bull are only five points behind now in the constructors. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a five-point difference. Who do you fancy, Kyle? Um, in the constructors' championship, yes. at the moment, I'm probably fancying Mercedes for really? the constructors because they seem to care about it a little bit more. Okay. Um, um, Red Bull proved that in Silverstone. They dropped they, they dropped Perez out of a point-scoring mm. position to take the fastest lap from Hamilton. They have not been... They've, they've made no secret about it at all. They've been pretty upfront with just saying their number one objective is Max Verstappen, world champion, you know, world driver's champion, whereas Mercedes, Toto... I said his name right. Toto, yeah. Not Toto. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. Toto. <laughs> I had to really think about that. What have that. you done with the real Kyle? <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> okay, I'll go straight back to it. Yeah, Toto even said at the um, interview at the end of it, that you know, one of the first things to come out of his mouth was it's bittersweet because of the Constructors' Championship. You don't hear that sort of talk from Red Bull. So for that reason alone, I think Mercedes will will keep more of an eye on the Constructors over the drivers. Um, my only caveat to that, I, I, I see the reasoning. I, I think you're right. I think Mercedes are used to winning the, the, the Championship, the, the Constructors' Championship. I think Red Bull will, will absolutely grab and sacrifice it for the Drivers' Championship. But at the moment, my feeling is, that actually Perez is on better form. He doesn't have the same car as Bottas, but I think Perez is on better form, is racing better, was unlucky in Brazil uh, and was unlucky here as well. I know, I know you're going to say, oh, Perez, fun. Uh, Matt, then Christian. Well, um, I just want to remind you when we're talking about this battle that I agree with you. I think the Red Bull for Perez in the race is a better car than the Mercedes is for Bottas. Yeah. Oftentimes. And that back when you asked us who is going to win, I'm pretty sure that because Summer said it first and I copied him, <laughs> okay, it was going to be Hamilton winning the driver's championship, but Red Bull taking the constructors. And I see that as a very, very real possibility right now. Christian. 
So a couple of races ago, uh, if from a Red Bull perspective, it would be all about the Verstappen winning the drivers' uh, championship. But how things have evolved, evolved, and how Bottas is not really performing to the level he should has totally flipped this. So actually, now they're only five uh, points behind uh, Mercedes, and if they have Paris and Verstappen at second and third for the rest of the season, even though Hamilton takes the the drivers, they're going to be constructors, and yeah. that is a goal in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, and we're seeing. And I think it will be pivotal in this championship that it's going to be the well, well, well the world championship B, the second drivers yeah. are going to be absolutely crucial. Who's going to get that fastest lap? And if we look at it that way, I'd kind of agree with how they're coming through. If you saw some of the moves Perez put on today, some late lunges, almost scaring the cars off the road into turn one. He scared Stroll off the road pretty much because he's having these really aggressive lunges. He's got into the Red yeah. Bull aggression in the overtakes mm. and he's pulling them off and making it do well. You don't see that from Bottas. Bottas is sticking to his you know, objective, which is just keep it clean and keep it good. But he doesn't have this aggression, that this newfound aggression that Perez has got this year. So for that reason, yeah. maybe... Perez, Red Bull are going to be looking stronger in that sense. Man, this is, it's so much like like poker, like the personality. Who is making the bet is so important. So, you know, if Verstappen goes all in, as a driver, you go, oh, yeah, no, he's probably, he's going to follow through on that. If it's Bottas, perhaps not. Um, I, I commented last week that perhaps the sprint race, we were making a bit too much of his dramatic overtakes and, and drive through the field because the, the other drivers were, well, that's Hamilton. You know, they see the big 44 in the background and you're in a midfield car and you just go, it's not my fight. It ain't my fight, bruv. Just go on. Just get on with it. And I think that Perez has to forge that reputation from scratch because people are used to Perez being a midfield driver. So if someone like Ocon or Alonso sees Perez on, you know, they are Perez behind you two seconds, you're like, yeah, Perez, I've been fighting him for the last five years. You know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll fight as hard as I can. But if he can forge a reputation of I am Perez, I am an elbows out, Red Bull driver in a top car, more and more he's going to start, like you said, Kyle, scaring drivers off the track. Yeah, yeah. I and wanna, he's backing uh, up his sorry. sorry, and he's backing up. Yeah, it it's not just creating this false impression of like a racing driver. He's genuinely started to do it, and genuinely starting to having some really, really, you know, brutal um, battles. Look at look of him in Turkey with with Lewis. We didn't really see that from Perez before. Me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. So what, I was what, a bit confused. No, no, I that's just, fine. I, when I want I Christian just, to speak, I do like the Viking horn symbol. So yeah. that's, that's you there. <laughs> I didn't see it this time, but I got it. I, I just wanted to add that uh, I've never had the feeling that Paris was uh, was a driver that wasn't aggressive. I've, uh, a, a race in my mind still really fresh was, was him and Alonso in Malaysia when he was a Sauber driver and Alonso was mm. in the Ferrari, I think which was just so amazing. He's always been very aggressive while still maintaining sort of like a tire life. So I, I've always, I think the entire grid ah. has respect for Perez. That, that's interesting. So as a, as, a, as a Perez fan, the only one I know, I've, I, that's mm-hmm. been my main criticism in the last couple of seasons has been aggress- aggression, particularly like, you know, lap one, uh, lap two. But here, yeah, I think, yeah, a good performance, but but left a, a bit on the table, I think, um, the Red Bull-Perez combination. Don't, don't forget the car is, is not easy to learn to drive, I think, the Red Bull car. Yeah. You've seen it all the other ones. And, and we're now almost at the final of the season, and he's got the hang of it. All right. Well, we were talking championships. I let myself get distracted 
booze banners, getting distracted talking about the drivers I like. But let's talk about the championship. Let's lay our cards on the table, guys. Let's stake our professional reputations on it. Uh, Max Verstappen has an eight-point lead. That, that fastest lap was vital. I think there's something psychological because eight points is higher than a, a win from first to second, and six points would have been a little bit less than a, a one-two win. Two races left. I think one thing to bear in mind is that if either car has a DNF in the next race, they're all but handing it to the other driver. So I think fans on both sides will be incredibly nervous as they see any hint of, oh, I've lost power. It's going to be, oh, no, this could be it. So the championship could be decided in the next round. Not not for Hamilton, but it, if, if Verstappen DNFs, Hamilton's just got to cruise in in Abu Dhabi. If Hamilton DNFs, then Verstappen's only got to finish second to be world champion in Saudi Arabia. So how do we think it's going to go down? Christian, lay it all on the cards. Tell, tell us they, in a psychic way exactly what's going to happen. I don't want you on the fence. Um, if they end up on a tie, Verstappen is going to win because he has the most wins. So that is not, uh, and I don't think that's a realistic scenario. I actually think Hamilton is going to win the two last races. Uh uh, and I don't think someone's going to do anything foolish. And then I think uh, Verstappen and Perez will bring back, uh, bring home the, the constructors. Okay, well, hang on a minute. Let's see your, in your scenario, does Verstappen finish second each time? Uh, it's really hard to tell about mm. Jeddah, uh, the next track. But um, I think he will finish second in the in Abu Dhabi because mm. he, he's fast there, so is uh, Lewis Hamilton. So that, in your scenario, that maths is pretty clear. He stretches out 14 points. He wins the World Championship by four points. Kyle, what's going to happen? Um, I believe Lewis will win Jeddah. I think he's going to win that track. He's got a proven track record on new tracks. And if you watch the onboard laps, wow, that's a fast track, a very fast track. So, And he's got his spicy engine in, as uh, Toto yeah. uh, called it. Yeah. So... Um, I think he was going to win Jeddah, but in Abu Dhabi, everyone's expecting it to be a Mercedes track. And even though they've changed two of the corners, Red Bull, it seemed a bit of a Red Bull and Verstappen won last year, I believe. And I think Verstappen's going to be super quick and he's proven time and time again under pressure. He just keeps performing even better. So I think it's going to come down to a spectacular final race with nothing in, in between the two. And I will actually put my money I actually have put my money. I think Verstappen will will win the championship. You, you haven't got any just. left. You put it all on Alonso, you fool, <laughs> to win this race. Christian. I just uh, wanted to maybe challenge uh, the Abu Dhabi theory from Kyle Go because on, um, they've remade the track, you know. So uh, I can't remember. Is it, uh, is it corner number four, I think, yeah, before the, one, the back yeah. straight? Yeah. That is now sort of not in 180, but what is it? 240? What have they extended sort it? Of, is it going deeper? No, yeah, it's just going straight down and then it's uh, around up the straight. And that is more or less the same as corner six in uh, in uh, Qatar. Oh, I see. Have they taken out the yeah, chicane? And that is where Hamilton beat Verstappen this entire week. Oh, is that what they've and done? I'm just sorry. I'm just sorry. Sorry there, Christian. Yeah. Did they take away the yeah. chicane at Abu Dhabi? They if, took away uh, uh, corner one, two, right. three. There's like a bus uh, stop before the last. Yeah, the happened. first bus stop sort of that is gone, oh. as far as I know. And then the uh, uh, after the back straight, it's now two corners. Yeah, instead of a chicane first and a corner. 
So, Kyle, I think the criticism previously with Abu Dhabi was basically that little bus stop thing spaces everyone out nicely. And then, like like the stadium section in Mexico, then discourages even with that long straight overtaking into that chicane. So that is, oh, OK, I, I'd not realised they'd done that. The argument was always they couldn't move the grandstand back, so they couldn't have runoff. So I guess they've solved that. Yes, yeah, so they just completely got rid of the annoying flip-flops at the start of the the um, track and then the horrible flip-flop flips at the other end of the track. They basically got rid of them. Christian makes an extremely good point about that is very, the first the turn, which is going to be turn three or four now on Abu Dhabi, the first corner they've modified is incredibly similar to turn six mm-hmm. um, at Qatar. And yes, Mercedes were, as Christian Horner said, cons- consistently two-tenths quicker than Red Bull through that corner. But the other one that they've modified is now They've made a strange choice of that. They could have made that slow corner because it's at the end of the second DRS zone. They could have made a big braking zone and a nice wide corner for overtaking. And oddly, they've made it a semi-banked, super fast left sweep, oh. which isn't going to have hardly any chances of overtaking. But for me, that screamed as a Red Bull corner. As soon as oh. I saw it on the thing, I was like, this is True. Red Bull land. So, so I hadn't taken into account the first one. So I think it's still going to be a Red Bull track. Okay, so end of the second long straight, instead of the left-right chicane, so left, right, left. Instead of that, it's now just a, a sweeping left. Yeah, very oh, fast, banked. That is, that's so interesting. Why have they gone that a, way? They've yeah. missed a trick there in my eyes because they've got the room to do it. They could have made a big stop into a big wide sort of mm. hairpin, but not. They've made it a very fast Mugello-style sweeper for some reason. Okay. I think that's going to kill overtaking chances. I don't want to go too far deep into Abu Dhabi, but actually the, the, the first right-hander before you go then left underneath the hotel that could then become your, your overtaking opportunity. But Matt, I want you to put your, your marbles in the pot. I may have watched... The one that have left? Yeah, I watched Squid Game too recently. Um, who's, what's going to happen? Who's going to win the Drivers' Championship? Well, I will start with a caveat uh, that Toto Wolf himself said, which is uh, this season has shown us that our expectation of which tracks will be good for which cars are usually just completely wrong. But given that, I think Kyle is right Given the length of time, I saw eighth gear on the screen in the um, virtual lap of Jetta, and that with the Mercedes engine, the same one that he had in the back of the car in Brazil, which did not feature in this race, by the way, I, I believe that will be a big advantage for Mercedes and one that it will be difficult for Red Bull to overcome. And if you're going to say there's a race where Max might not finish second, it might be Jetta, mm. Otas, with that engine in the back and with not a lot of turns to have to cope with, could potentially put him under some stress, except for we've also seen reports that he had a power unit issue today. So if he takes a penalty, then suddenly that opens oh. up the constructors for Red Bull. That's true. Let's say there's no engine penalty. In my opinion, the most likely scenario is a Mercedes 1-2 at Jetta. That means going to Abu Dhabi with a, uh, a two-point lead. Hamilton has a two-point lead. Worst case scenario is Hamilton wins Verstappen second and then, and this is with no DNFs, obviously, uh, then you go to Abu Dhabi with Hamilton one point behind. Basically, either way, whoever finishes higher out of Verstappen and Hamilton in Abu Dhabi is going to be world champion. But for my money, looking at the performance of Hamilton, looking at the performance of, of Mercedes and that car and having taken all those new engines that seemed like a... Uh, what are they doing? They're taking all these new engines now. They've got so much power in the in the back of that car. I, I can't see Hamilton not winning those two races, barring a, a DNF or contact or an incident. I, I think we were talking we were talking about fingers on trophies, Kyle. We were talking about fingers on trophies. I'm now much more nervous as a neutral 
<laughs> I'm, I'm a Hamilton fan. I'm a Hamilton fan. So bef- before I thought that, you know, they were the plucky underdogs. They were going to be fighting back and they had a chance to fight back. Now I feel like on on pace and performance that Hamilton's got these two wins. On, barring something bad happening and those two wins are enough to keep him ahead of Verstappen so something there's got to be a contact there's got to be a DNF or just all we're so wrong about the Mercedes performance also it's going back to what I said earlier the second driver performance I think if a Perez can get in there and getting Hamilton's pit window then Red Bull can use him as a pawn likewise if Bottas True. can get on pace and do it so I think the second drivers and the fastest lap <laughs> points are going to be absolutely key which is fascinating what what an amazing dynamic we yeah, have yeah. I know the fans have been at each other's throats all year and everything but never known a year like this it's going to go down in history yeah it's going to be fantastic and uh, yeah but I, I think that's my take on it I think if you if you could choose which package you want now I think you're going to be in Hamilton's car despite the points difference I just I think that Mercedes are more vulnerable to something going wrong so they they would be more affected by a DNF they'd be more affected by a contact that puts them down the grid yeah, talking about package that you'd want, you'd maybe want the Mercedes car, and Ham- but with Perez as Hamilton's teammate. If you want the ultimate <laughs> if you thing, want to- if you have to pick and choose, it's not that's a mix- the combination you'd want. It's not a mix and match. Okay, where should we where should we go? Okay, let's let's briefly go to uh, the the Mercedes and Ferrari battle. Matt, how do you see that? Um, I think it was already kind of over and done with, and after today, it is just done with. Nightmare for McLaren. It really was. I mean, they're well behind in in the championship. They're 31 points down. And, you know, first of all, you have Norris in fifth place. So at least they have the morale booster of, well, we finished ahead of Ferrari, even if we can't make up that deficit. But then he gets a puncture and finishes behind both Ferraris. And then Ricardo had the weirdest of races. He actually had a fuel warning on his dash at the first lap, which he ignored. But then was told to pay attention to, to the tune of, uh, he said he was fuel saving to the point where he was losing like almost two seconds a lap, Ugh, certain laps. That's ugly. And then suddenly they told him to push like crazy. So yeah, not really what McLaren needed or wanted this late in the season. Looks a little bit, little bit, little bit like a team that maybe put a lot of resources into 22 quite early, I think. Uh, and also, I actually think Norris potentially could have had fourth or fifth if he hadn't had that puncture, uh, depending on uh, Paris's uh, overtaking skills, of course. He would probably have been overtaken by Paris, but yeah. that would still have left him in front of Ocon, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm looking at the Constructors' Championship now, and Ferrari, after that result, are like 39.5 points ahead. So, I mean, that's looking pretty terminal, isn't it? For, 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 Mercedes, for McLaren... It, <laughs> We had such high hopes, and it's just the last three or four races, they've just disappeared, Kyle. Also with Ferrari, their new power unit is the real deal. They have been showing massive straight-line speed. So um, they it's just been slightly anonymous because they haven't been challenging at the front, but they've got a bit of a stealthy super power unit in the back of there again. And we think it's legit this time. Yes, because last time it was also legit, but for, for no reason at all. They decided to stop deploying the power they had uh, available. I am always wary, Matt, with the Ferrari of damning them with faint praise. Oh, the power unit is great. Their straight line speed is brilliant. 
but yeah, it's that that's only good if you can bolt on enough downforce to be competitive elsewhere. Is you know, we the twenty fourteen Williams was fast in a straight line. That's that's all it had. Yeah, and uh, what Ferrari have now is their draggy aerodynamics married to a much superior power unit. And that is why you have seen them start to creep away from McLaren. Although I will say, relative to potential, I don't think this was a great race for Ferrari. I think they left some time and positions on the table by being too conservative with their tire strategy. Although Leclerc did make a good recovery after his cracked chassis cost him so much in qualifying. Ferrari's always been like a big football club when it comes to managers and that sort of stress there always is in a high power environment. But I think I, I think I talked about this a couple of episodes ago as well, but I think they have a, a sort of chilled atmosphere in Ferrari and just taking it the hard work way. They're just doing their job, not making too much fuss about it. And I think we can see those results paying off. Uh, kudos to, to Ferrari, definitely. I want to see, <laughs> you, you guys are not going to believe me when I say this. I want to see Ferrari at the top. <laughs> okay, I don't, but okay, just go with me here. I want to see Ferrari at the top so I can see what Leclerc and Sainz's dynamic would be in a high-pressure scenario. We saw little shades of it when they were competitive on the European leg, and there was, oh, I need to get past, oh, I'm being held up here. So as much as it looks harmonious at the moment, I think under pressure in a title fight, that would be one of the first partnerships to go go full Rosberg Hamilton, I think. Maybe, maybe, yeah. It's going to be it'd be fascinating to see because also it's going to be seeing how well Charles Leclerc deals with science because bar Hamilton and Verstappen, science has been my driver of the season. Really, like it's been incredible how he's adapted to that Ferrari, and he, uh, on, on quite a few occasions now, it looks like he's had the better of Charles Leclerc. So it'd be fantastic to see them two fighting as a front. And as you say, it doesn't. They seem like both very nice chaps. They seem like they kind of <laughs> yeah, get on, yeah, but yeah. there have been slight cracks appearing. So yeah, it would be fascinating to see them absolutely go against it. And as we know, Ferrari are not great with team orders or handling their drivers. They've never been in a situation before where they've had an equal team, really. No. We've never really seen this in recent history from Ferrari. So it'd be fascinating to see how they manage it. Ah, uh, they'll pick one and throw the other one to the, to the wolves. We know that. But I'm going to praise Ferrari. <gasps> I'm going to save it for my thing of the weekend, actually. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save that for my thing of the weekend. Uh, we already covered Alpha Tauri. They ended up going backwards. Aston Martin, pretty good weekend for them. Stroll P6. Did he end up P6? Yep. He did indeed, because Vettel wound up P17 by turn three of the first uh, lap. What happened to Vettel? He got caught up in the post-Botas <laughs> chaos and went very wide at the entry of turn one. And when he came back on track, he was in 17th place. Oh, okay. That was pretty much it. So the Aston Martin had a bit of performance this weekend then. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and and Aston also uh, cleverly made, of all the Mercedes teams, the only one to really make the one-stop work. Okay. Well, Everybody in that case, blew up their tires. well done to Lance Stroll. You did quite well. Good. Uh, Kyle? It was an extremely good drive from Lance Stroll because considering I think it was free practice two or FP3, he was really unhappy with the car. He was shouting at the team over the radio because he didn't like the balance. Great recovery. They obviously found some balance. They made the one stop work and he was just, we didn't see much of him, but he was just super, super solid and on the pace. And again, it's another weekend where he's ended up on 
finishing ahead regardless of Vettel's problems. He's finished ahead of a four-time world champion. He's done a few of these merit drives this season. All so right. Surely he, surely now he does belong and he is a very solid, good driver at the top of that midfield. All right. Don't get emotional. Jeez. All right. We'll argue about, uh, we'll argue about Stroll another time. I'm a bit disappointed because we don't really have a, a whose fault is it to argue about. Whose fault is it? I mean, there was an unsafe rejoin. We can uh, talk about uh, Mick Schumacher just launching himself back on track in front of Alonso as if as if Michael was there with him going, ah, Fernando's here. You can do for me. Avenge me. Uh, that's what it felt like a revenge kind of swipe. Didn't it, Carl? It was so it was mad. It kind of did. If you look at his onboard, he just didn't check his mirror. He was just if you see the whole thing, though, he just had a very scary about 150 oh, okay. mile an hour rear snap. <laughs> Fair enough. Was trying to collect the car up and didn't actually look on his mirror because I, I think at that point he probably hadn't been told there was somebody coming up to lap him very in close vicinity. But it was pretty poor form. When I first saw it, I was like, "That's got to be Mazepin. That's got to be <laughs> Mazepin." And it wasn't. I was like, "Oh, it's Mick." Oh, okay. Well, I guess it was okay. But um, no, it wasn't. It was pretty bad. So full blame on Mick for that one. Um, but in his defence. He was probably a little bit flustered after collecting the car up. I do have uh, whose fault is it? If uh, oh okay, I'm yeah, allowed. you can yes, mute it. So whose fault was it that there was no lighting at the end of sector three Q three? Oh, okay, on? we're going there, are was we? Was it a technician? Maybe. <laughs> okay, this is a very. It was a very. Uh, confusing scenario and i have to say at the time i didn't think much of it i watched qualifying and then i i, I went out with my family and then someone's put a, a screenshot of verstappen going through a yellow light and didn't make sense to me because my memory of it in the in the event was it went double yellow and then like instantly like nearly straight away went green and i went oh okay well i guess it's green and then you saw the you saw Gasly. They cut to Gasly. He's got a blown up tire. He's crawling his way around. I guess he's already past the pit entry. That's why he has to then be on the start finish straight. And the thing I thought, the only thing I thought was dodgy, was there was an Alpine that had slowed going past Pierre Gasly, and then Bottas was coming back in the distance, and you could see the distance between the Alpine and Bottas closing very rapidly. And I thought, what's going on here? In the Sky commentary, they said, oh. There's a, they must be satisfied that he's allowed to finish the lap. But Bottas is like just nailing it through turn 16 and staying flawed. To me, I just went, oh, I, I'm surprised that's allowed. There's some kind of new directive, I think, where they can just delete lap times. Like anyone who's in that sector with a yellow flag, they can just delete it. Uh, but to me, like if Bottas had lost it on turn 16, he spun, he kind of took a, a, a snap. Then he's going to take out Gasly. And this is qualifying. This isn't even a, a race or a practice session. This is qualifying when they're flat out. That's the only thing that appeared to me dodgy, Matt. So I was very surprised then that Verstappen was being investigated, who was much further back. Yeah. So let's be clear. It, from the commentary, was not the most obvious of situations. Uh, I was listening to Five Live and they're like, oh, there's double yellows. There's yellows. DRS is disabled. No, wait, it's re-enabled again. So... There was clearly a lot of right-in-the-moment management happening on track. But regarding the rule that you reference, and this is a point that I really want to make, 
it applies to double waved yellows. If you are on a lap and there are double waved yellows, then your lap time is deleted regardless of what you do. You're still required to follow the international sporting code. You still went slow down. Be prepared to stop, but you're not, you're not going to get a chance to try and make any of that time up. Yeah, usually it's a slam dunk. And I remember they they changed this rule. I think it was back in 2016 in Hungary when Rosberg, in qualifying, there were some yellow flags out. He did lift and slow down, but not very much and still managed to improve his lap and take pole position. And there was a bit of a hoo-ha after that because mm. all the other drivers backed out massively. And then the FA slightly changed the rules saying that, yeah, if there is a yellow flag there on your lap, that's it, it's lap over, like you... You must have bought mm. your lap. And regardless of the kerfuffle with it's going green on the system and we're seeing that, that's someone in race control reacting to the reports they're getting from the marshal posts, you know. So in my experience, I used to be a marshal for, for bike racing. Yes. And when we used to do the international events, I can't speak for the car racing sort of guys, but we had somebody called an IO, the incident officer, who's at the corner for each corner. They're in direct contact with race control. We had radios as well, so we could hear the traffic, what was going on, especially if you're on a flag point. And basically, if you see a crash, it's your duty to get the yellow flag out and react immediately. You don't wait to get authorization to put a yellow flag out because mm. you don't have time. Race control eyes can't be everywhere. You put the yellow flag out. As soon as that flag goes out, your IO contacts race control and like yellow flag post 16. And then they get it up on the system and race control react to it. So I think there was a bit of kerfuffle on the race control thing. The marshal who ended up getting criticized <laughs> is just doing his job. Yeah. He's seeing the danger and just getting the flag out. And we used to have a saying, again, I don't know if this is true. It was quite a long time ago. I don't know if it's true for the car racing, but we used to have a saying with the yellow flags, if in doubt, stick it out. You I, know, I you knew can't you were going to say safe. that. Kyle, why do you always <laughs> besmirch the reputation of this podcast? I'm not. Wait, it's a flag. Kyle just go full wang on yeah. flag duty? It's a flag adage. <laughs> Okay, if in doubt, if in doubt, stick it out. So we're look. This I'm really glad you did this, Carl, because great to get a Marshall's perspective. So the person who's on the start finish straight just sees a stricken car with no yeah. front wing, sparks flying, a, a tire kind of flapping around. He, he, it is his absolute duty to look at that and go yellow flag. Absolutely. Yep, that is what he's doing. And then the kerfuffle is probably with with race control wanting to keep it green because there's laps being finished, putting it out, panicking. And I don't know how it works, Formula 1. They might have automatic things that they can say on that on that flag point, which then automatically makes the whole system and it puts up on the TV coverage that is green or yellow. I'm pretty sure that comes from race control, but feeding off the reports of what they're happening on the corner. So, yes, it was a bit of a kerfuffle, but... That doesn't take away from the fact that there's a slow, stricken car on the inside. So the driver's coming round, flag or not. Alonso backed off. Vettel backed off. Science did, albeit once he'd already passed it, but realised. Yeah. So, so whether there was confusion or not, it's a slam dunk. It's it's it, it's not. It's a non-argument. What could possibly explain the strange yellow flag on-off behaviour is Gasly just losing his his front wing, and as a probably as a marshal, you see this. Oh, what's going on? It's a crash. You put out your yellow, but the car keeps on going, and you see just lost his front wing. You put in the yellow again, or, or, or put it uh, take it yeah. away from the track again. But then you have already sort of released the yellow flag, so that connects to the next yellow flag. What really got me was that no one sort of did anything when you had a Gasly on the main straight at the end of Q3, and people were just allowed to go crazy. I, I didn't get that. Okay, so... Just to set the scene clearly, only Lewis Hamilton and Yuki Tsunoda were ahead of Gasly 
on that lap. Everybody else passed Gasly at some point during their lap. Most of the drivers that were left backed off significantly. Mm. Three of them were summoned to the stewards. That would be Verstappen for double yellows. And I think Christian is probably correct. I think the double yellows were thrown when the incident happened and the marshal saw the sparks and the car off track, thinking that it was a proper crash. And it was just bad luck that Verstappen came across the double yellows instead of the single yellows that proceeded to follow Gasly. Or maybe the wing was on track and it was, Mm. I don't know. Regardless, it was single yells. It seemed to follow Gasly around the track. And Botas got nailed three points, uh, three positions for not respecting those yellows. He, he claimed he didn't see them, but accepted that it was a fault on his part. And Signs actually said to the stewards, when I came around onto the final straight and I saw Gasly going slowly, I lifted They looked at the telemetry, agreed with him, and he was not penalized at all. And I think this is, we bang on the stewards for being inconsistent a lot, but they absolutely got this one correct. Signs behaved correctly, and as a result, he wasn't penalized. The others didn't, and they paid the price. Yeah, I have every sympathy for not seeing those lights. Like, even when people were doing the onboards, they're going, this is slammed on, this is nailed on. And like, I... Like, I'm looking at that going, oh, is it? Oh, br- oh, brilliant. I mean, I mean, I mean, oh, I'm neutral. But I look at it and I'm like, I can't see the light. I can't see it. I couldn't see what Max was supposed to obey. Christian. As a racing driver, uh, all these guys have been racing carts or whatever since okay, they yeah, were true, 10 true. or whatever. If you see a car going slow and you're in qualifying, it's, it's game over. Yellow, you, yeah. you cannot set a faster time. It's just, it's that simple, basically. And uh, also, I want to say it was a doubled wave yellow from another flag post that uh, Verstappen uh, reacted to. I might add that Ferrari got off really, really, really easy because actually it was just Carlos Sainz having an oversteer moment in the last corner. And they <laughs> sold that him. oversteer moment as a, as he, a he t- lifted the, the pedal. And it was in the lift. Um, science did actually, he, he had that moment, but then, and then he floored it past the accident. But before he got to the line, he completely got off the throttle. Okay. He completely oh, okay. backed I, off. To, I wasn't aware of that. So he Sorry. didn't set a faster mini sector. There's lots of mini sectors. And okay. the rule is you cannot go quicker through that mini sector. And so he lifted off, albeit it was once he'd already passed the incident. <laughs> so it's kind of largely okay. defeated. But technically he did it by the letter of the rule. Okay, so I think uh, there, there's very little room for leeway there's double waved yellow flags on there. Uh, Verstappen is flawed through there. That that has to be a penalty. I, I think there's an element of bad luck, but also there's an element of previous where he has flawed it through yellow flag incidents in qualifying before and been punished for them. So it's no surprise that he would be punished for them again. Uh, but Kyle, I, I think I just kind of want to move it on slightly to the reaction of Christian Horner and he has been taken to the stewards and he he made a comment about why should Max be penalised for the actions of a rogue marshal. And I think that's when a lot of F1 collectively just went, ooh, oh, Chris, oh, Mr. Horner. Mm. Yeah, that's not really on. I mean, for the sake of balance and to try to be as fair as possible, um, it was the heat of the moment. He was frustrated that it was the double, he was wound up about the double yellow and the single yellow thing. Like the fact that he got, so they got five place and the only, and other people only got three place, but the fact was, it was pretty 
clear cut, but you shouldn't say stuff like that. You know, like these people are volunteers. The marshals are the unsung heroes of motorsport. They are always said that and it's very very true they're volunteers they give a lot of their own time and training and at their own expense uh f- to my knowledge marshall's expenses aren't no. covered mine certainly weren't it used to cost me money to go and do it yeah that's and at the end of the day, yeah you're <laughs> at the end of the day you're putting yourself out onto a live circuit and potentially in the line of danger so you tend you don't criticize yeah. those people publicly and i, I mean I, imagine how that marshall must have felt so i think yeah. it must have been them complaining after seeing that them and their family they must have felt awful apparently he doubled down later as well I've, uh, mia in our chat has just pointed out that he later added so i don't 100% know this is true i think there needs to be some grown-ups making grown-up decisions just having binary somebody Sticking out a yellow flag, it's just frustrating. I think the race director should have control of the circuit. Like you said, Carly can't have eyes everywhere. He's the referee at the end of the day. It's not a football pitch. And otherwise, anybody, you get a marshal that decides to stick a yellow flag out, how does that work? So what we can't have, Matt, is we cannot have marshals now intimidated from putting a yellow flag out. We need to have them have Kyle's disgusting motto, if if in doubt, stick it out. I'm not sure if you've ever met a marshal. But they don't seem to me to be the kind of people to be overly affected by the sorts of (laughs) things that Christian Horner says, if you catch my drift. Don't forget, he was the only one doing his job. Everything else failed. Yeah, so he, oh, yes. I like that, Christian. So that rogue was actually the, was was the grown-up on the track doing the job they were meant to do. I hope he gets a Red Bull basket. (laughs) <laughs> I hope he does too. And uh, Matt, we've just got to highlight the non-apology. Mr. Horner, sir, if you're listening, in context, I think you can see that that wasn't a cool comment. Just say, I'm sorry I made that comment. What I said was personally offensive to you. I wasn't thinking of you as an individual. I was airing my frustration and you ended up being the recipient of that. I'm sorry. Instead, he pulled the politician line. If anyone was offended... I'm sorry that they were offended. No, well, no, sometimes people are offended because you said an offensive thing. It was, that's a non-apology. That hurt me. But at least it looks like he is doing like community service. He's doing the stewarding course or whatever. He's definitely had his knuckles wrapped. So I think we can more or less draw. I think we can more or less draw a line under that, Kyle. Yeah, and is going to do the stewarding course yeah. as well. So it's not like having to go to Alcoholics Anonymous or Outraged Anonymous, no. as this will be in the thing. So he's actually, vol- he volunteered himself and they accepted the thing. So fair play there. Like, you know, he volunteered himself for it and know he'd done wrong. So be interesting to see what comes of that. All right. Well, I think, I think it's time, if, uh, if you'll let us, I think it's time to move on to the, to the podium. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Wow. We are we're in a heck of a season here. Not since 2012 have I, I think, been quite as tense. I guess 2008 as well. Who will be the Glock in Abu Dhabi? Will we get a situation? Is there any more twists and turns? Are we going to get a situation where we're assuming the, the leaders are going to be out in front, but actually they're scrapping for eighth and ninth place in Abu Dhabi to, to fight it out for, that, for that, those last points, those last scraps? What if does it rains tor- in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, that's true. In the last laps. Mm. They're just like, there will never be another. It, well, it depends. What are, what are the F1 gods planning? Moving their little chess pieces around, creating drama. Uh, I, I think we have a very, very high percentage of this going to the last race of the season. Uh, I think we're incredibly privileged to be, as F1 fans, experiencing this in real time. And whichever way it goes, Twitter is going to be an absolute hellscape. Either way, stay off Twitter, Kyle. I, you, you're vulnerable to Twitter. Don't go on it. Whatever happens in Abu Dhabi. I have a rule that I'm not allowed to post anything before midday now. I've done this to myself after one of my <laughs> grumpy tweets blew up and ended up going semi-viral. And it was just me having a grumpy morning rant. <laughs> and then suddenly it's all over the Twitters. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm a little bit scared of Twitter and particularly the high uh, percentage of plastic fans that seem to be there and just mudslinging. So um <laughs> It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. So, yeah, um, the, regardless of what happens, Twitter is going to be um, turned off and not turned on again for about I mean, a week after the Twitter, championship finishes. Facebook, Reddit, they're all going to be like that. I'm with you, Kyle. I did a morning, somebody sent me a picture of an Alfa Romeo shop window in in, in, <laughs> in Shanghai, and I just innocuously posted it on Twitter. And then the entire world, I even posted underneath that, don't treat this as a source. Treat this as gossip. And everywhere I was hearing, like, on, like, national TV in Britain and uh, and, and, and the right. Netherlands. Well, I was right. It's a fluke. I don't yeah. know. I just posted the thing. But anyway, yeah, uh, this is going to be – it's going to be toxic. There's no two ways around it. But protect yourself. You can have your say. You can have your word. You can do your tweet. You can do your reply. The one thing I, I've been trying to get – through to myself as someone who is very argumentative on all these platforms so i've not got a leg to stand on is can you walk away from an argument do you have to convince the person you're arguing that you're right or can you just go okay that's your opinion let's have it let's walk away i'm talking to me here not just you let's see (laughs) if we can all do it christian uh i think actually since well maybe after brazil it's a bit calmed down hasn't it uh, the entire Hamilton Verstappen sort of. Where have you been? Well, whatever social media platform you're on. Well, that's... Okay, I'm a, I'm not on Twitter. I have to. Uh, well, I'm actually <laughs> the only thing I'm using is Reddit. Uh, if I am to use any social media, if you can call it that. But uh, Reddit has been. Of course, there's always the divisiveness, but not much. Uh, max, max, more like reason. I think. Okay. Well, look. Let's give out some reasoned awards. It's thing of the weekend. 
Yeah, and I just did that on the spot. Did that work? Did that? <laughs> I love that. You like that? Okay, cool. Um, okay, so thing of the weekend. I'm going first. Thing of the weekend. Ferrari with that double stop, two point two seconds and two point four seconds. So they can do it. Has something improved with the Ferrari pit stops because they were struggling. It felt like they were always kind of holding back their drivers. But that is my thing of the weekend to Ferrari. I know. Uh, Kyle, what's your thing of the weekend? Well, my thing of the weekend is just Formula One at the LaSalle International Circuit. Uh-huh. As I mentioned at the start of the show, um, having been an avid watcher for well over a decade um, of watching the MotoGP guys wrestling those monsters and amazing machines of bikes around the circuit, and it looks quite slow, and they're fighting, and particularly the end of the lap, those final sort of those, those three really fast right-handers before the really quick left penultimate corner. To see an F1 car go through there, Flat, like Harry Flatters, not even sort of lifting. And you, when you're used to watching MotoGP guys like fight it, that is my thing of the weekend. The absolute um, mind-boggling speed and downforce that a Formula 1 car creates. For a seasoned Formula 1 watcher like myself, we don't often get to see a Vernier like that. Like we, have, we had it in Mugello, but we don't have to get to see a reference, like a barometer or Vernier, of how actually fast a Formula 1 car is. And... For someone like me, we actually got a great representation of it. So that's my thing at the weekend, the absolute performance of modern-day F1 cars. I just want to state here for the record, I definitely know what vernier means. You know, like vernier calipers, you know, when you measure... Oh, it's yeah, measurement. no, I do know. Oh, damn uh, it. Oh. And you accuse me of using <laughs> words wrongly. Because <laughs> you're American. Uh, Matt, In- uh, what's your thing of the weekend? Okay. Um, and this is frustrating to me because there's Ocon start, there's Alonso's podium, but... I would argue that the single best part of the weekend was Sebastian Vettel overtaking Pierre Gasly on the pit exit in qualifying because he did it. Gasly got on the radio and was like, is he allowed to do that? I don't think he's allowed to do that. And, and Vettel's response was, oh, well, he was going very, very slow. Oh, yeah. So I thought there was a problem. <laughs> Honest Gov. Christian, what was your thing of the weekend? I want to say if you want to spread a message about equality and stuff like that in maybe the least uh, inclusive part of the world, you put on a rainbow helmet and win a Formula One race. And I think he did it so gracefully. And I generally think Hamilton has just, he's wearing the right pair of PR gloves when it comes to putting on this message. Well, I don't, I I don't even, does. I don't think it's like cynical PR, but I think he means it. I think Vettel means it. And uh, personally, I'm pleased that the drivers are are using their platforms for the things they believe in. We're going to get emails telling us and YouTube comments saying, don't do politics, etc. No, that's my answer. No no one's (laughs) screaming or no one's uh, uh, saying someone's doing something wrong. They're just putting it out there in the clearest uh, way, I think. It's very positive. Yeah, isn't positivity wonderful? Let's do the negative one. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Uh, I'm going to go first again, so no one steals this. The very clearly hired actors in the crowd. Oh, my goodness. You could see them look glancing at the producer or whatever. Like they're going, yay, yay, guitar, woo. And then you see them glancing because they've all clearly received an instruction to like, like fist pump or cheer. I've done a little bit of extra work when I was like 17, 18, and... It just, it smacks of that, you know, they're like, they've they've been given 
their direction and they've all applied the same direction. So they're all doing exactly the same emotion and fist pumps and just like a random assortment of flags. And the commentary got sucked in at one point. This guy commentary went, oh, isn't it great to see Verstappen and Hamilton fans together celebrating? No, those guys just got handed those placards. <laughs> That is so true. That was mine as well, actually, Spanners, because you could just see the horror in their eyes while they were trying to maintain a smile. Oh, come on, oh, come on, get me out of here. That was their eyes. It was horrible. I didn't read anything into this until I saw it on Twitter. And then it reminded me of there was a sh- one shot during the race where there was a load of people dressed up in full orange and really happy throwing a Union Jack. I'm just like, what's going on there? It's like they've got a like um, you know, like a, a costume box. box. They've got a costume <laughs> box. <laughs> they've got a costume box for to go in the grandstand, and they don't know. They've just picked up whatever they're on. It goes, yeah, we'll take these. That will do. But the thing is, it's a, you know, a country relatively new to to Formula One, and you would think, yeah, great if you packed out the stands. But you would think, you know, it would be a, a curious audience. But what they've done is they've looked at like pictures of Silverstone and Zandvoort, and we've gone, well, we've got to recreate that. So let's get people to be like that. And it's like, no, you've massively overshot it. You've kind of also but also there is a lot of expats over there and if you looked at the sort of thing i was like well it looks like a lot of a lot of sort of uk nationals in the grandstand so they found an awful lot of them but imagine if you live near the circuit they're like um we're going to give you a load of free merch do you want to come and watch a formula one race just look happy it'd be like uh, okay <laughs> i think there was only room for five thousand people there or something like that uh, could that be true i think it was only actually the the people and on the main straight, that was more or less the only audience there. Yeah. So some people will have been paid and some people they'll have just like let them in free or whatever. Because uh, I remember I was doing a a, a, a a commercial where we were dancing. We were the young hip people dancing and there's no music on. So you've just got to pretend there's music and you're dancing. And then at some point in the evening, the shooting went till about nine o'clock and they briefed us. They said, we've just told a load of drunk people that they can have some free drinks if they get on this bus and appear in this scene, don't tell them you're getting paid. So I imagine there's all sorts of stuff going on there. Uh, let's see, uh, Kyle, who missed the apex for you? Alpha Tauri, completely. Oh, shame. From, oh, uh, I just stolen trumpets. I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry. I deliberately <laughs> made so him sorry. go last. Okay, yeah. Um, look, Gasly starting from P2, Sonoda from P7, I believe. And yes, their strategy, their early... The early stop for the two-stop didn't work, but then Gasly said afterwards, we had no pace. The car was awful. I had no pace at all. So, um, and yeah, they're, they're my missed apex. They, they, they went backwards in quite a spectacular fashion that we're not used to seeing them do, really. It's, I think they're all a bit baffled. Uh, okay, good. Christian. Christian Pedersen. Not Mine on was media. the same as yours, actually, Spanish. Oh, okay. so, uh, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah. And I thought I was the only one who has seen that. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, I'm a professional. I know this. And everyone's <laughs> apparently seen it. Yeah, it so, was, just, it was uh, shocking. Yeah, All right, really then, let's go to Matt. Matt, what's your second choice uh, uh, Missed Apex Award? Well, if I'm going to be completely honest, no one will like this. But I got to say, it's Mercedes keeping Botas on those tires so long. Like, I know they were going for the lock on the podium. But I also know what Pirelli told the teams. Ah, right. And, what did and they, it's just—it's like it, it was a big chance, a big risk to take. What did Pirelli say? Uh, they said a two-stop strategy, and they felt a one-stop might not be possible uh, due to the tire wear that they were seeing in the data. Did they give a tire life for the medium? I don't have a specific tire life for the medium, but okay. 
considering the hearts gave it up uh, 31 laps for the other Mercedes teams. I think if you were at the limit uh, of camber until then you were playing, playing a very, very dangerous game with your car. Yeah. Fair enough. Let's go to the pony award. Very hard to go away from Red Bull here. I'm I'm so sorry, but like I've got three and they're all Red Bull. So obviously the Christian Horner one with the rogue marshal. He has attempted to apologize for that. So let that sort of go. Uh, Helmet Marco also making calling the FIA completely incompetent. It's like, guys, the FIA have pretty much had your back for the last few races. You might you might want to smooth down those spikes. And then the the other biggest pony of the weekend with Josh Verstappen insinuating that Lewis Hamilton is being passed like drugs or something, Kyle. That seemed to be the... It was like a hairband, apparently. But like it was like, oh, he's being handed something by his trainer. Is that legal? He's getting an advantage. That's absolutely crazy talk. I still Outrageous. want to see some sort of um, proper source for that because yeah, I true. can't yeah, good believe point. that could have been said because that is so off, out there of like bad takes and, and yeah. absolutely off the wall blamange brained opinions that I struggle to believe that it's come out of Jos Verstappen's mouth. So I want to see a proper source for that before I take it seriously. Fair enough. No, that, that is fair, but it has been widely reported, certainly by We wouldn't be the first outlet to be talking about that. Follow Kyle at KylePowerF1 on Twitter. Uh, Matt, well, let's go to a comment of the week. Uh, three comments, please, because we've actually, we've run way longer than I thought we would, considering the race. I thought, oh, okay. We'll have a bit of breathing room, but I've enjoyed chatting to you fellas. Follow Matt at MattPT55 and me at SpannersReady. I am the best one. Thank you so much to everybody who's actually followed us and the Mr. Apex account at Mr. Apex F1. Has nearly 7,000 followers. I think I've got like 6,300 followers on there and people are interacting and it's wonderful. I've, I'm just, I've, I've spent most of my Twitter career being broadly ignored to have... Uh, that kind of community of followers and that engagement has been wonderful. So thank you for everyone who's like interacted and retweeted and stuff. And um, I'm like, Kyle, don't catch me in the morning. Like I'm super grumpy in the morning. Catch me in the Chardonnay hour uh, and I'm much more pleasant. Uh, Matt, let's do comment of the week. Uh, we've got some contenders. Uh, well, we have many more contenders than we have time for. So I will pick the top three, which is not a, a full Imperial three. And we'll start with Maria Kledos adding insult to injury, a Botas biopic. Oh, no, don't write his biopic. My, my goodness. OK, go on then. OK, harsh. And, and even even though we didn't really discuss it, uh, Bug Not a Feature captured my interest with lots of surprises left this year. Next race, we get to see how the cars perform without a track. They, they This was frightening. Alex Brundle tweeted this. Uh, the the comment from the track was something like the core elements are broadly fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it just didn't inspire any confidence. It's like, yeah, most of the corners will be there. Yeah, it's like, look, we've there's essentially a racetrack for you guys to. You know, that doesn't inspire confidence. But I, I I believe that they will have a replacement. Like they won't just not race. That's no, Carl. Do you think it will just get binned? It, no, they do have a replacement, but unfortunately. It's Hareth, which is, we thought this was going to be bad Hareth for F1. It's just going to be, it it will be like Zandfort, but a bit worse, I think, if anything, for overtaking. Um, Yeah, it's not going to be a good replacement. When's the last time there was a Grand Prix at Hareth? 
1994. Oh, no, 1997. It was 97. Yeah. How could I forget? And they did the it was testing. It Schumacher into sack hairpin, smacking into Villeneuve, the second move of the uh-huh. wheel. Did they not used to do testing yes, there for a while longer, though? Barcelona. Yes, yeah. they do. It's fine yeah. for single lap, but for racing modern-day Formula 1 cars, no, I, I don't think it's a good option. Third That's candidate. That's what we said also. about Qatar as well. Yeah. Remember. Well, yes. Ref even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, third candidate. And I just want to say, I apologize, Daz, your comment was quite good, but I'm going with Pete Shulcox. Oconzo could be the new Alon. No, the pun. What? No. I'm blocking that one, Matt. I'm blocking that. So who's our, who's our winner out of the first two? Oh, probably, that's... Was it Maria with the biopic? With the biopic, yeah. I go, well, we say it again and then the name and then I play the oh, bumper. I for the music, but okay, yeah. congratulations, Maria Kledos. You have won this week's Comment of the Week. Thank you very much to my panel, Christian Pedersen, Kyle Power, Matt, two rumpets, and me, uh, Richard Reddy. You can follow me at Spanners Reddy on Twitter. And by the way, I'm on Facebook too, so Richard Reddy on there. Uh, please uh, interact with me. I do love hearing from you guys. Drop me a DM. I didn't realise on Twitter that you had to go to a different part to find the requested messages if you've not DM'd me before. So there's been people getting replies from like six months ago. <laughs> Very surprised to get a reply from me, but I'm working my way through those. So please, I do live, love interacting with you guys. In uh, YouTube and the podcast app, there are show notes. The very first link will be to Race Weekend. I think if you were to pick up a Race Weekend A3 beautiful magazine for 18 quid or $25 from the magazine store and bring that home, you would not be disappointed. I, and I, I, I genuinely would be surprised if you were disappointed with your $100 four-episode subscription, of which Missed Apex will get a, a very generous cut from the guys at Race Weekend. So click that link. This will make an ideal Christmas present uh, to, to the F1 fan in your life. We have got show content coming up. I was trying to catch up with Matthew Carter. I, I do want to uh, speak to some of our panel in, in uh, Brazil and, and China as well to try and get some kind of catch-up show. But we'll definitely do something on Sunday. And then I guess we'll see you for a race review the following Sunday in Saudi Arabia. And until I see you next then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Game on. You know what I was trying to think of, Kyle? I was trying to think of Wayne's World and it's party on. That's what I was trying to do. Party on. Party on, Kyle. Party on, Wayne. No, I said Kyle. You could have done party on Spanners. Oh, sorry. Party on Spanners. Oh, it's too late now. Totally radical. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 